Welcome to our brand new episode. If this is your first time, I'm going to give you a rundown of what goes on around here. In just a few seconds, I'm going to find out who I've had my head surgically attached to this week, and then we're going to read this week's theme. We'll each pick a movie that fits that theme, and then we'll reconvene and discuss. And then I'm going to do this all over again next week. This is The Incredible Two-Headed Podcast. And we're back. I'm really excited about our guest this week, so let's get right into it. Returning to the show, and we're always happy to have him, is Jay Carlos Menjivar of the Dial F for Film podcast. Hey, Carlos, how's it going? It is going well. Uh, these these two movies that we're going to talk about never seen before. I always like that, and they're very interesting and, and different from each other. But outside of that, uh, I, it was an interesting watch, and uh, I'm ho- I'm hoping you're doing okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm doing okay. I'm doing okay. We'll see how I feel at the end of the, this week. This begins like a marathon of podcast business. Like from now until Sunday, I'm going to be busy every day. Even on Thanksgiving, I've got a friend out of the country. He'll be he'll be, he'll be recording with me. You're working hard this week, even though it's a, it's a holiday week. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm working hard watching a bunch of movies. So really, it's it's my family has to just put up with me taking over the TV. <laughs> I feel you on that. But I, I know your show, Dial F for Film, that keeps you pretty busy. I, I have to watch two movies a week. You have to watch at least five. Yeah, I know. Uh, I I haven't done an episode like in a week and I, I have an episode to do soon, but it's a shorter one. It's a part two. Uh, it's only three movies, but five five movies a week. I, I'm really shooting myself in the foot by doing five movies. I might maybe next year, sometime next year, I might scale it back to three make a short make shorter categories but yeah five is is is, is a little crazy i'm starting to realize <laughs> and it, it is just so much <laughs> it is it is fine as a guest as a guest it feels like yeah. the right amount but as as somebody you would have to not only edit and put the show together and then watch five movies it can be just like i i know the feeling of just like i want a night off i want to watch something that's not related to this show. Yeah, that's part of the reason I, I, I didn't want to do a lot of shows uh, for or record really much uh, this week for Thanksgiving week, just because I, 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 was, I wanted to be able to just sit down and watch something else. And I just feel like I, I, I've been watching a lot of samurai movies lately, and I just really wanted to go back to that. The other night, I was like, I really want to watch like a bunch of Jackie Chan movies. But I stopped myself because I have to watch 12 movies this week for this show. And I'm just like, well, I, I'm forcing myself to get through those first. 12 movies is, that's a lot. <laughs> oh, no, it, it's fun. It's fun. But it, I'm looking yeah. at it as it's buying me a Christmas break. I won't have to actually rush to get an episode yeah. ready. I can I can relax through the holidays. Well, yeah, that's that's good. That was my, my plan, too. I wanted to kind of relax on the holidays. But the way I have it now, it's like I'll relax that week instead of longer just because I've pretty much mismanaged my time as far as spacing them out. I'm like, well, I have time. So I'm just going to wait a couple more days or a few more days to, you know, really get down to it. But uh, I'm excited. And I'm, this is something that I, I haven't told you yet, but I, that I want to do on my po- podcast for at least the first month. I'm going to make categories with movies I've never seen. That way I start the year off strong with 
a bunch of movies I've never seen before. So I'm going to make categories just based on that. And I'll be watching uh, uh, new movies for the beginning of the year on, on, my, on my podcast. And I'm looking forward to that. I think that'll, it'll make it not, not, not that watching movies and, and doing the podcast isn't fun, but it'll be nice to, to, to watch something that I've never seen before that I'm not just rewatching um, for the podcast. Yeah, no, it's good to have a, a nice mix because one of the things that I like about doing your show is that each each episode, I've seen a few of the films so far on each episode, and it, it really, it prompts me to revisit some stuff that I've been wanting to watch maybe, but I just haven't gone back to in a little while. So, uh, but speaking to that urge to watch something new, we each picked a movie that we hadn't seen. I'm, I'm just going to come right out to it. Like this week, our theme is a little different. Instead of coming up with like a, a clever title or a theme that we're going to pick a movie around, I just thought it would be fun to pick movies released by Arrow Video. And the reason we did that is because Arrow just recently released their streaming app here in North America. I guess it had been available for years over in Europe. And I, uh, we both really like the app. There's a lot of cool stuff on there. I thought it'd be fun to just kind of like look through that archive and find something to watch and discuss. And you picked a movie you hadn't seen, I have. I saw it years ago, and then I, I decided like, oh, I'm gonna pick one I haven't seen either. So here we are. I feel like you watch too many prestigious movies over on your show. So whenever you come on here, I like to kind of drag you down a little bit in respectability. Oh, I love I love it. I uh, A lot of my friends make fun of me for, they, they think I only watch things in black and white subtitled. Yeah. Uh, but little do they know that I love me some trash movies and I love, <laughs> I just, I, I, I love movies so much. Like I will scrape the bottom of the barrel just to get that fix when it comes to a movie. And, oh, and yeah, and I love this stuff. I feel like this quarantine really turned me into the film viewer I always wanted to be. Yeah. <laughs> like I, am, I am scouring all of the, the streaming services and YouTube and I'm finding all these like really bizarre movies that nobody's ever heard of, or actually people have heard of them now because the the way that home video works is it's it's marketed towards the cinephile who likes weird stuff these days. Yeah. So there's, there's all these like, like Arrow that we're going to talk about. And then there's like Massacre Video and Severin and all these places that put out these forgotten movies. We Speaking of, you know, trash cinema, we have got a couple of pieces of choice trash for you tonight. And so <laughs> um, I guess let's just, get right into it and we'll come back in just a second and we'll talk about the two films okay so first up my pick of the week off of the arrow streaming app i picked death walks on high heels directed by luciano ercoli so Death Walks on High Heels is a 1971 giallo. The story is about a French burlesque dancer, Nicole, as she finds herself targeted by a masked stalker with unnaturally blue eyes, who is convinced Nicole knows the whereabouts of her diamond thief father's final score. There's a lot more to the movie than that, as it takes a lot of detours over its hour and 45 minute runtime. But like a lot of giallo films, the plot is not always the point, and it's probably a bit too confusing to really recap here. In fact, you might have heard me struggling just a bit to fit the plot of this movie into just one sentence up, up top. I'd never seen this. I don't believe you had ever seen this. And I was watching it. As I was watching it, I realized you've been on the show twice, Carlos, and each time I've made you watch an Italian horror film. Are you are you uh, familiar with Italian or giallos, or was this kind of a, 
uh, is this kind of maybe a little blind spot for you? It, uh, yeah, as much as I'd like to say that I'm familiar with Jello, I'm really am not. I know a lot of the movies by name, but I haven't seen very many. Uh, and I, I've seen a lot of the the, the, the bigger mainstream ones, uh, the more famous and successful ones. But this one is one that the title seems familiar, but I never I had never seen it. And watching this, and and, and I'm glad you said it that the, that the plots can be confusing in these movies or convoluted because I did feel that in this movie, and I wasn't sure if it was just me. And I have felt that in other Jalo movies before where I feel like they're maybe like 20 to 25 minutes too long. You know, I actually yeah. wrote almost the exact same thing in my notes. Yeah, they always feel too long for me. And I never, I, I always had, and I think I, I've been wrong about this throughout the years, that I always had the impression that uh, the, these Italian horror movies or uh, mystery thrillers would be really, you know, gory and violent. And they're not that. And that's usually why I will sit down and watch them. It's like, well, it's Italian. Maybe it'll be uh, gory. And it's, it's usually not that gory. And there's a lot of story and a lot of dialogue. And it's not really what I'm looking for when it comes to this type of movie. So I was really taken aback by how focused it was on, on, on the story itself and, and, and where it was going. And I, I really wanted to, to, to find out who the killer was and, and what was going on. It's just, it, it, it takes so long to get there. The movie's an hour 48 and I just wish it was shorter. A common complaint you see from people is that like, oh, the movie could have been about 15 minutes shorter. And you kind of then wonder like, well, where would that 15 minutes come out of? A, a taking 15 minute chunk out of a movie doesn't always make it better. It might just make it more confusing. But there is an awful lot of stuff in the middle part of this movie. It takes a very long time to get to the point. You know, the, the first like 20 minutes. So the movie opens. And there's a man in a train car washing his hands. He's got a gun in his waistband. The first on this first shot in the movie, the camera pulls up and he's got a mustache and an eye patch. And I was in, I was like, it's a man with a gun in his waistband, an eye patch, and like a 70s bushy mustache on a train. This movie is going to be great. Then, you know, immediately he is killed. Somebody comes into his room and kills him. And the next 20 to 30 minutes of the movie are at such a rapid pace. We get Nicole, the movie like shows a couple of her strip teases in full, which was a really weird choice. I get it. They want to up the, you know, TNA factor and make it a little bit more exploitation. -y, <laughs> yeah. But it's so boring because she's not really doing an interesting dance. She's just kind of like standing there swiveling a little bit. You get introduced to her, you get introduced to her live-in boyfriend. Like her father was the man that was killed on the train. The cops pull them in because everybody's convinced Nicole knows where the diamonds are that her father stole. And she starts getting threatening phone calls. Eventually somebody in a mask breaks in, like kind of strips her and threatens her with a razor blade and then leaves. You know, there's like a bit of a whodunit. Like it, it, she starts to think it was her boyfriend because she finds these blue contact lenses that have been, that. Uh, it, well, spoiler alert, they were stashed in his apartment. He's not the actual killer. For a second, like towards the end, I had forgotten about those lenses and I thought it wasn't going to come back again until they do mention it very, very close to the end. I, I seriously thought they forgot about that or just disregarded that aspect of the movie. So yeah. what happened about, what happened with those contact lenses? Yeah, well, this movie, like I said, it takes a really long time to get where it's going because 
of how like you know this first half hour moves so quickly because not only that but she is kind of fending off the advances of an older man who once she's convinced her boyfriend is a killer she runs to that older man and just immediately like there's a shopping montage where he buys her a bunch of outfits and they go off to live at at his he's got like a country estate and she's going to hide out there while he he's a doctor he continues working in london everything happens in the first half hour so fast and not even like in a in a good way like it's got a good rhythm it just feels so truncated and then for the next hour the movie seems to forget that she is hiding from a killer you know there's some weird people in the in the town and she's a little nervous but it's really just about them living in this town for a while and her staying at the house alone it isn't until maybe the last 15 to 20 minutes that it seems like the movie remembers it's about a killer yeah which which is really unfortunate because the movie starts off so strong like the scene on the train is really awesome it's really cool and then you know you think you're in for a ride and 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 then the like you said we go into this we see uh nicole striptease like a few times and i think that the actual production design especially on the stage when she's on stage is better than her actual dancing like she's like in this like white sort of painted walls with uh like shears and and in these like curtains and i think that is more striking than her actual uh physical performance in those scenes and i think that goes throughout that the movie looks really nice like it looks good and the production design i think is immaculate a lot of the times i find myself looking at the background of a scene just because there was so much going on and it was so nice and beautiful and opulent that it was it, it was distracting from the story and the the movie takes so many detours that at a certain point you kind of especially towards the middle you kind of get at least for me fed up with what's going on because you don't at least for me i didn't really care about you know that relationship i thought that the 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 doctor i think he's an eye surgeon was a total creep i think he he's the guy in the audience uh, at the beginning of the movie who is recording her on like a eight millimeter camera. The the description of the movie on IMDb calls her a stripper, but I, I said burlesque because she seems to be in a club that's a little higher class than what you expect a strip club to be. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's like distinguished couples, like men and women in the audience and they're watching it like a show. And yeah. he pulls out that camera <laughs> <laughs> and... Like nobody seems to care. He like, he then motions for somebody and is like, Hey, can you have her come to my table when she's done? He follows her to the next club. He like breaks into her, her dressing, dressing room. room. And she, I say she, I said earlier, she fends him off, but she doesn't really because she just is like, Oh no, thank you. And like he leaves, but she seems very amused by it. He, she's not really as, I, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know how safe she feels <laughs> in that club, but I just, I can't imagine anybody like going into your room, sitting down and, and you're mostly naked, sitting down to take off your makeup. And then suddenly there's a guy just sitting behind you watching you. She her takes react- it so lightly. Yeah, her, yeah, exactly. Her reaction is almost like, oh, this, uh, this has happened before. Like, well, here we go again. <laughs> like, how, how am I going to fend this? How am I going to break it down to this guy? Like, yeah, I'm not interested. It, it's so weird. I mean, you talked a bit about how the you're surprised by how not gory some Italian movies are. What I associate with Italian, especially with Giallo, but like Italian films in general is kind of a stylishness to them. And you talk about that, how great this movie looks. And it is, it's very pleasing. Like 
I'm, I'm going to spoil things here and say that this movie I thought was okay. Um, there's a, a lot of things in this movie I thought were great, but also at least half of the movie is kind of dull. And yet, just from that opening scene, it starts it starts so uh, so strongly, and the music over the credits is great. It, it's just like that that 1960s 1970s. It's very stylish, and everything works together. That I just like the pleasures of watching this movie are there in just like just seeing the images move, seeing the design and the actors move through the sets. It can be very pleasing. I just think in the end that this story, I don't know. I, I, I really think that there's a cool story there. There's some really cool reveals at the end of the movie. It gets tense at times, but so much of it is kind of a slog. Yeah, I, I agree as well. It, it does feel like a slog. Uh, it was, it was hard to 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 really, uh, you know, sit through this movie, but there was things like like you said, there was things I liked. I thought this the 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 story was pretty cool at first. There's so much filler in in the middle, especially with the relationship of Nicole and I think Dr. Matthews, and it's just it's not it's not that interesting. And it kind of reminded me because of, of of the high production value it run it reminded me of like a classic hollywood melodrama from like the 40s or maybe even the 50s and i think that's what the middle really feels like and that kind of stuff is like is, is to me is so is so artificial that i i just lose interest i can't i can't fall into line with that and and, and, and enjoy it to me like and also, I thought that the relationship was kind of weird, especially with Dr. Matthews. I, th- I thought he was so, just so creepy, just a creepy old man preying on a younger woman. And there were just scenes where he was just staring her down and the camera would just linger on his eyes. And there was a lot of this kind of like awkward sexual tension between the two. And I mean, don't get me wrong, Nicole, she she's I think she's very beautiful and has an amazing smile and has a lot of charm but it was just mostly coming from uh Dr. Matthew's point of view where it just felt really it just felt bizarre it is not helped by the fact that she is so disinterested in him in their one meeting or there are actually two meetings because he he kind of comes up to her at a at, at a cab she is so disinterested and then she gets scared of her boyfriend and immediately runs to him. And it isn't ever played as if like, well, this is somebody who can protect me. It is, I am in love with this person now because he just bought me a lot of dresses, which is kind of unflattering to say about her, but that is exactly how the movie plays it. I mean, she goes immediately from that shopping montage to them, like then she is just like laying around in lingerie and stripping in front of him. And like, it's kind of gross right but yeah she is she is good that that um nicole is played by uh neves navarro who was married to the director like they were married in the mid 70s or sometime in the 70s and up until he passed away oh that makes a lot of sense but then (laughs) because she's naked i'm only saying this because she's naked through most of the scenes in 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 this movie like most of the scenes she's either naked or topless or there's a lot of that going on with her character. Yeah. I want to also bring up really quickly there, her second striptease in this movie is, is she supposed to be in blackface? Uh, Yeah. I wrote that in my notes too. I think she is. (laughs) 
that that was such yeah, a was, weird yeah because she is covered in bronzer and she's wearing like a really short afro wig yeah and then her her boyfriend comes to visit her in the dressing room and he's like i like it when you're all in black like this yeah it, it's, it's so, so weird oh gosh 1970s italy yeah like, i mean that that's that definitely would not fly today but man it was such a weird thing like i didn't even think like i thought the wig was a weird touch and it wasn't until like later on in the dance that i was like oh no they're she's supposed to be black in this oh yeah I, I also I, I thought it was someone else too i thought it was a different performer and at first like that's where i think they're doing blackface because that does not look legit and then it, it realized oh wait that's that's our that's nicole <laughs> doing the blackface which is yeah, it was, was surprising. And, you know, I, I didn't think, I didn't think other countries outside of the U.S. Uh, did blackface as well, which was very surprising to me. Yeah, there is a big history of it, especially in like European, or I, I should say white European countries. Yeah. Um, I know England has a big history of it. At, uh, Australia is still dealing with a lot of, oh, like, no. uh, a, a, a lot of like, is it acceptable or not? And of course it's not, yeah. but there's right. still yeah, people who are holding on to it. There's a nice touch in the early parts of this movie where the killer calls Nicole and he's using like a, um, like one of those voice changers. What are they called after you get a tracheotomy? Uh, it, but the, you know, just make his voice sound uh, yeah. really metallic and robotic. And he calls and the calls always come right after she's had an argument with one of the men on screen and they leave the, they leave the scene. Like one of the calls happens after she turns down the doctor, like mm. almost immediately after he leaves the room. Yeah. And then another one comes after she has a, an argument with her boyfriend and her boyfriend leaves angrily. And then she gets a phone call. So it, it is setting up that it, it, it could be any of them because it's always right after a scene where a man has expressed a little disappointment or anger at her. Yeah, she's she's not very good at maintaining healthy relationships. Her boyfriend's really shitty. And, you know, she kind of, she runs into the doctor's arms kind of because of that and also because the allure of money and all of that. But it just seems like she's she's kind of going back and forth between the two when, whenever things get bad and one, one side, on one side, uh, she makes it, to the other and she's constantly looking for protection and sort of comfort i mean which makes sense she's being you know stalked pretty much by by this mysterious killer you kind of had it right on the money when you said that this movie becomes kind of a melodrama because you could kind of see this as like rebecca or one of those uh you know newly married melodramas where the woman is being left alone a lot in the house yeah and the husband is there's something mysterious there because she's she's basically stuck in this village while the doctor goes to London to practice and everybody in the village is kind of a gossip. It's a small village, a small coastal village, and everybody gossip, gossips and kind of looks at her disapprovingly. The doctor introduces her as his wife, but everybody kind of knows that they're not that's not his actual wife. Yeah. The introduction of Hallory the caretaker for his house, his estate, he has a fake hand, which I don't, I don't recall that ever coming into play in the movie. Like it doesn't mean anything. It's just a, an interesting character touch, but his introduction is he is having his hand adjusted 
by somebody like they're they're like screwing some straps into it or something while he is stroking a cat and it's almost like he's being introduced as a bond villain yeah really i really thought there was going to be more of a red herring there and we actually he actually kind of is a red herring but he's never built up to the point that you you would expect him to especially because i think the movie is maybe titled after him not not really i mean he's a red herring for the title yeah what does the title mean because i thought it was going one way but it doesn't right ultimately well there's a scene where somebody shoots the doctor and um he's in his clinic he's working on somebody whose eyes have been damaged and of course this is an italian movie from the 70s so there is some eye stuff in here when he's like he's doing surgery like he's removing what i'm assuming are contact lenses like weird makeup contact lenses but it looked like it was a real person under there and he's using blades to do it like it's so bad (laughs) italians are crazy yeah this wasn't very this wasn't like graphic at all but it was so uncomfortable to watch so he gets shot right then and the person is in the room with him and he's mostly blind. He doesn't see anything, but he, he hears that it's somebody on high heels. Like I'm, I'm going to go ahead and spoil this here for people who haven't seen Driller Killer is the reason I chose this. There's a, a few reasons. I went and looked at the Arrow app and this was recommended by Edgar Wright. And, oh, interesting. It was in that collection. Yeah, it was in that collection. And I hadn't seen it before. I wanted something I hadn't seen. And based on the title and knowing that giallos very frequently get into psychosexual areas, I thought that this would have a cross-dressing element in common with the end of Driller Killer. And I was kind of right, but not in the way I expected, because I expected that that killer was going to turn out to be her, I thought that was going to turn out to be her boyfriend, like who was dressing as a woman for some reason, which it does not turn out to be. And so I think the title refers to the fact that that person who shot Dr. Matthews was in high heels. And yet that that's almost a, an aside in the movie. It's such a red herring because that's not the killer. That's Dr. Matthews' wife at that point, right? She's like pissed off at him. Yeah. And she just tries to kill him because he's having an affair with this younger woman. So the red herring with the caretaker is we see at one point, like somebody like there's a character that's basically just spying on the estate and he's not doing anything bad. Like, well, he is, he's spying. He's just a pervert. <laughs> peeping Tom. <laughs> yeah. But he sees a woman that we can't, we never see her face. She comes to the house, offers Nicole a lot of money. There's an argument and then leaves. And the next scene, like that, that's the last we see of Nicole because Nicole is dead after that night. And I'm just spoiling everything here. Um, Hold on. Which I thought was so bizarre because I thought she was the lead and she's gone. Yeah, it is. It is weird because it's not like Psycho where they kill her like at a midpoint and we go to different characters. This is like they kill her and there's half an hour left of the characters trying to find out what who killed her. It's it's almost like. Like if in, in one of the Friday the 13th movies, Jason kills all of the characters in the last 20 minutes is other characters trying to figure out like, well, what happened here at the camp? <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> um, so I feel like I'm kind of muddling my explanation of what happens here. But eventually the, co- the inspectors come across Hallery and Hallery is dressed in women's clothes, like clothes that he took from Nicole, I think. I'm not quite sure where he got them you think that that's going to be like maybe Hallery was the killer and he's dressing up as a woman for some reason doing it. And yet it is immediately dismissed 
they never once want you to think that because by the, the cops find him in women's clothing and they're like, oh, sit down. You're not the guy that did it. it the that, whole movie is like that. I feel like it's like, oh, it's this guy. Well, never mind. It's not this guy. Maybe it's yeah, this guy. Yeah. It's bringing up red herrings and immediately dismissing them at, instead, yeah. of, instead of planting them and letting you think about them for a while. But that's such a weird thing to maybe title the movie after like a red herring that doesn't actually have anything to do with the plot. Like the fact that Hallery is dressing up in women's clothing has no bearing on anything else. It, it's not a misdirect. You never see him in women's clothing until they come into a, his house and he's wearing it. And also it's not one of those cases where the Italian title of the movie is mistranslated or, you know, translated in the wrong way in English. Cause I'm looking at it right now and it's pretty much, it seems to be like a word for word translation of that title and it still doesn't really fully compute as far as the movie goes. To me, a movie that I feel would this title would apply to would be, um, what's that Brian De Palma movie from the 80s? Uh, Dressed to Kill? Yeah, like that makes sense. And, that and this title fits that even more. Like that's a big part of that movie. Where in this, it's just like the title sounds really cool. And it kind of, I was, I was with you. I was like, oh, it's going to be like a psychosexual Italian thing. And it wasn't. No, it, it's weird. I, I actually wrote, I'm looking over my notes here and about an hour and like at just over an hour and like 15 minutes, maybe I wrote in my notes, this movie is all over the place. Didn't this start with a diamond thief? And like, <laughs> yeah. it, it's so weird how, how much it, it changes. And like in retrospect, I kind of like that, especially when you get to that last 15 to 20 minutes, I think the string of reveals and tension is pretty good, even though overall for the movie i didn't quite like the fact that nicole got murdered like kind of off screen like we don't even find out what happened to her until later in the movie she's just missing and then no no not later in the movie but like a little while later they find her body yeah like out in the water i i liked that chain that that sudden shift in the moment a little bit like where you see she's being watched the woman walks away and then it's the next day and dr uh dr matthews is coming into the house and calling her name we don't see her again we see her as a body that's it it's so sudden the way it happens yeah like you're, uh, you're not so, expecting it at all no in the end like her boyfriend is there on the island i guess she called him in the middle of the night and asked him to come to the island but you know she'd already been killed by that point the killer is revealed to be uh dr matthews and he was bankrolling her dad like he was funding the diamond the diamond theft and in fact, the guy whose eyes he was working on was also uh, working with her father. So there's like, it, it's just weird how, how everything do, kind of does come together, but it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily feel satisfying or organic. Yeah, you know, it definitely it, doesn't feel organic. It feels like at the end of the movie, he's like, oh, well, we got to have this character. We're just going to make this character arbitrarily was working with the dad. It, it was okay. I, I liked the experience of it. It's probably not one I'm going to go back to. But I, I, I like this. I really like this style of movie. And like I said, like that swinging 60s, 70s style. The music in here is pretty good and everything looks nice. And I think the yeah. performances are okay. Oh, really quickly. When the doctor's wife is killed, like the movie itself isn't, isn't very bloody. But the gore when his wife is killed is really intense. Is she the one that gets uh, like... She gets it right through the chest. Yeah. And then like yeah. the, he like drags the knife across her her neck and it's like tearing at it. Like yeah. it's not just like a a, <laughs> a a slice like you see where 
there's just like a slit and then blood starts to come out. It is like he is tearing across this flesh. It it's pretty gross. Yeah, that 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 was that was one of the few like really bloody moments, and I was really shocked by that because we we saw we saw a little bit of blood before then, but it wasn't like this. This one, he right through the chest and just really pulls it down and leaves a giant gash in her chest. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there is no sequel to this movie, but Luciano Ercoli did uh, the next year directed a movie called Death Walks at Midnight. And it seems to have much of the same cast, different characters, the, but his wife is in it. I saw that the inspector is in it as another inspector, just different name for some reason, because I, I kind of like the two Scotland Yard inspectors. They're, they're a bit out of place because they're, they're given a lot of humor and the movie ends with them like moving really closely and, and staring into each other's eyes. <laughs> and I'm not, yeah, I'm that not was quite so sure. weird. I'm not quite sure why. I think it was supposed to be like a laugh line. And it, it almost seems like like it was going to be a freeze frame, but the director never froze the frame. He just asked them to start standing still. It, it looks so awkward, but it's the final line and final, uh, final shot of the movie is just them staring at each other. Okay, so I, I had to go back in that moment at the end because I wasn't sure what was going on. Like, what? Why, why is the tone on this last shot so different? And the, it looks like the, the actors themselves like freeze and the camera do, doesn't freeze. Yeah. But also when we see the, the when it says uh, end, it does seem like it, it, it does get, uh, they do a freeze frame, but not up until the, like up until the end is when they do it. But they're holding their gaze at each other for a long time before that <laughs> it's just the weirdest thing i've ever seen it's such an awkward choice <laughs> i totally forgot that there is there is a comedic element to to to, to those uh, to those two characters especially the the main scotland yard inspector he is uh in a scene earlier he's trying to drink his tea and he keeps getting interrupted right before he's about to take a sip there's always something that stops him from happening and I, I just thought like he he delivers on that kind of subtle yet a, a very expressionistic performance to uh, achieve that comedic effect which was really off i think compared to the rest of the movie it is the movie itself is i don't, I don't want to say dark because it's such a bright movie but the movie is so serious that their comedic misadventures do kind of clash and there's also a scene in that where he's the boyfriend has been up all night getting drunk where they need him to they he, he basically induces vomiting so that the boyfriend sobers up and the boyfriend like runs to a window and vomits out like from the second floor he vomits onto the head of another cop who's just yeah low. And the <laughs> cop doesn't react at all the cop just like stands there while this vomit is dumped on his head it it, it is a joke scene it's it's meant to be comedic of course yeah but all of the comedy seems very odd considering that like this is a scene where this person is learning that his his girlfriend has been murdered <laughs> and like well let's put in a funny scene of a cop getting vomited on <laughs> yeah it's it's such a weird movie um but in a way i kind of like that stuff though i do like yeah <laughs> like just the the strangeness of it it was such a strange bizarre movie uh there's things I like, but things I definitely didn't. The Death Walks at Midnight is supposed to be better. And if I didn't have to watch so many movies this week for the show, I was I was about to just go and start that directly after finishing Death Walks on High Heels. 
That's also on Arrow, right? Yeah, they're both because they they released it at a two pack, the like a the Death oh, Walks yeah. pack or something like that. As we'll see in my uh, my top five later on, I think there are a lot better Italian movies, a lot better giallos. This isn't quite a giallo. I'm not I'm not sure what you would call it. I mean, it is kind of a giallo. It's got a masked killer with those black gloves. Yeah, but it it's also a lot of melodrama and a little bit of a police procedural because it starts to follow Scotland Yard a little bit. I guess I guess maybe like a proto-giallo because it, it hadn't quite become what it would be throughout the rest of the 70s. I That's think there's true, better. Yeah. I think there's better out there. I don't think this is bad. I, I just think this is probably like, I don't want to say advanced studies, but it, this is for if you know you like the genre, I think. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. Thriller Killer is a directorial feature debut of Abel Ferrara, if you don't count his little scene porno film. And it follows struggling New York artist Reno Miller, played by Ferrara himself, but credited as Jimmy Lane. Reno lives in a loft apartment with two women, Carol, played by Carolyn Mars, and Pamela, played by Baby Day. And generally, he seems entirely on edge at all times. His frustrations at being unable to finish his latest painting begin to manifest as Reno starts going out into the city at night to harass homeless people, eventually escalating to the point where he starts killing them with a Black & Decker power drill. Now, I had seen this movie before, but you had not. I might as well not have seen it, actually. I'm not sure what was going on with my first viewing of it, but I was kind of distracted. And a lot of this movie was, if not new, not very well remembered. Uh, there's a lot of detail in this that I, I kind of just remembered the feeling of the movie, which is very grimy, more than the actual events. What what did you think with this being your first viewing? And I'm sure you were aware of this before uh, before you picked it. Yeah, I, I had tried to watch this uh, movie like 10 years ago on DVD when I worked at a video store. I started the movie, but I, I, I never finished it. And it's something that I've always tried to to come back to. And part of the reason why I, I chose it for this uh, podcast. And I, I was really impressed by it. The look of the movie, it, it has this uh, punk, punk rock aesthetic that I like F- right off the bat. The first scene in that church is there's this just kind of like seedy, dirty look to it. But there's also this, this use of like neon bright lights that really clashes with with the style of the movie in a really interesting way and and it adds this great dynamic to the story itself and i i actually i really like this it has it also has this sort of manic feel to it and the way it just kind of jumps around and and the way the camera moves a lot of handheld stuff and i really did like drill killer Oh, this is actually going to be great because, sorry to say, I don't really like this movie. Oh, wow. I I respect a lot of it. And we, I'm, of course, we're going to pick that apart. But this is not a movie that I, I'm, yeah, it's not a movie I really like. And when you picked it, I was actually very excited because it, it's not a movie I, I ever thought I was going to plan on going back to but I definitely wanted to give it a better shot than I gave it the first time. I thought, I thought maybe, maybe my like kind of disinterested in my first viewing was just because I wasn't paying enough attention. I wasn't giving it a shot. And I watched it this time 
And I, I definitely found a lot more to like, but also uh, I just, I found, I found a lot of it unpleasant in a way that I didn't quite see. I mean, I, it didn't, it just didn't really like speak to me the way that I was hoping it, it would. I, I'm not, I'm not really big up on Abel Ferrara as a filmmaker. I've seen, I've seen like half a dozen of his movies half a dozen of those movies i mean he's very prolific but uh yeah this is this is kind of like i mean it's his first movie and so it's it's before he would get to like bad lieutenant or king of new york or you know he he would bring in a little bit of a little bit of formalist style to this movie which is very i mean you bring up handheld camera work and how it has a punk aesthetic it definitely feels very handmade it you know it's not of non-actors as well it does feel like he's he's capturing real scenes rather than a written movie yeah i mean i i I will agree that the movie doesn't really have much of a story and i think that's a a downfall because it could have had a lot of that including characterization which i think it lacks heavily where we don't really understand we get glimpses of it, but we don't understand the motivation behind Ovino's killings. It almost seems that he's triggered by the ad uh, that he sees on TV for a porta pack, which is a portable battery that you can plug anything into, and you know you can use uh, certain uh, power tools and household appliances wherever you'd like with this portable battery pack. And it seems like that's the triggering moment, but it's not really explain why that's the triggering moment it just kind of like he sees it and it just drives him to it and then after that he not even immediately after that way later is when he starts uh using a drill to to kill people in their homes on the street and i i do think that it lacks in that aspect like i i i, I do i did really like the movie but i i do definitely I do see that it's very flawed. The killings don't start until start until much later, but also we're not given much of a reason for why he does it. There are clues. There are plenty of clues in the movie for what, what is going on with him. But uh, he also doesn't seem to really remember them at first. At first, he doesn't like, the, you know, we've seen him kill at least one person, I think a couple people. And then he's at his apartment and Carol, I think it is, is just she has this habit of reading the news out loud. And she reads a story about a couple of homeless people that have been killed by what the police assume is some sort of power tool. He reacts very violently to hearing that. Like he's zoning out for a while and then he like turns on her. It looks like in that moment he is just remembering that he did it and he, he had put it out of his mind. Like it was a real compulsion and he just didn't realize it until that scene. Yeah, kind of, kind of like if he like uh, blacked out, right? And I think even when, 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 when she recall, it, it might have been her, but when she recalls, when she's reading that, he has no reaction whatsoever to to anything. Like he almost doesn't care and just kind of moves on. Like it just he doesn't acknowledge it in a normal way. Even if you're trying, even if it's something you're trying to hide. I feel like his reaction is not appropriate to the situation. Well, I mean, he's he's definitely adrift in some ways. Like he he's apparently a well-respected painter. He's got that art dealer who is just like sure that his new, newest painting is going to get him a lot of garner a lot of attention and money. But he's unable to finish the painting. It's this buffalo that seems to be like staring at. They have like a staring 
like there's a lot of staring between them where he's just like staring at the painting above of the buffalo's eyes <laughs> yeah but he's also apparently just like disgusted with homeless people before he, because before he even starts killing them he's basically accosting drunk passed out people on the street yelling at them to wake up and like why are you sleeping on the street why don't you go home and live with your old lady or whatever like yeah. he's, he's got these monologues he's shouting at them and then there's the punk band that moves in downstairs that is playing all the time very loudly and everything seems to just be getting on his nerves like it's it's just you know like new york is invading him in some way like he's just getting angrier and angrier all the time and he doesn't start off as a very likable person <laughs> so it, yeah it, he seems like he's on edge from the moment we see him like one of the clues I, as to why he's killing and why he's killing homeless people in particular that opening scene where he goes to a church and there's an old man there that asked for him like the 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 nun at the church got reno to like called reno down because this old man there who the old man looks homeless as well reno doesn't know him at all and they never had they don't talk he just like sits next to him and the old man like grabs his hand and it freaks reno out so much that he just leaves in disgust yeah and he and, goes on that rant in, in in the cab right yeah yeah it's so and, weird and then it's never brought up again like that old man the yeah only time it's brought up again is he's having kind of a kind of a fever dream hallucination where he's just like it's not a hallucination it, it's clearly like a fever dream where uh one of the women kind of suggests that that old man may have been his dad because she in the dream or the, he hears the disembodied voice saying well you never knew your dad did you oh that's right yeah yeah that seems to have some significance even though it's never directly addressed again in the rest of the movie because there has to be a reason why he's going after homeless people. It's certainly not a thought like nobody's going to miss them. It it's something about them seems to really, really disgust him. Yeah, I, I I didn't I didn't put those two things together, but it makes a lot of sense because in those moments where he you know he's hearing I guess voices in his head, he's he's hearing things that he's heard other people in his life say. And I think the thing that sticks out the most is the father thing. So that would make a lot of sense and. You know, most of the people that he does uh, kill in, in in this movie are are people of the street, and he seems to have a, a really huge problem with with them for whatever reason. But it's never fully elaborated to to where you can discern that um, for a fact. And 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 I think you really like you you just did. You really have to like dig and connect all these sort of free floating ideas that are disregarded throughout the movie and sort of forgotten about. Because you really have to pull all the all the scenes because, like I said, there's no real story to the movie. And at a certain point, it almost feels like this movie is a showcase for the punk band in the movie, The Roosters. Because we get a lot of scenes of their performances and, and, and they're practicing their band sessions. And, and the movie really, really focuses on that a lot. And it, it distracts you from probably all the other components in the movie that could have add in more significance to the overall film. There's a lot of this movie that feels like Abel Ferrara was capturing kind of an artistic moment or movement that he was in the middle of, because it's a lot of him hanging around with those two women. It's a lot of, you know, they go to a punk club a couple of times, uh, yeah. or there's a couple of scenes in punk clubs. And, you know, of course that band and everybody just looks really unhealthy and way too skinny. Yeah. Um, <laughs> where where it seems almost like 
like if the movie had just been a kind of fly on the wall documentation of this moment in new the new york art scene like pop art and punk it could have been very interesting and then if he had focused a little bit on the exploitation aspect of the movie, the killings, it also could have been very interesting. In theory, everything about this should really speak to me and just be like very fascinating to me. But I found the act of watching it a little bit tedious at times. Yeah, it, it, it's almost like Abel Ferrer is trying to make like a middle ground between a sleazy, like a sleazy slasher movie and then... A, like a weird like independent art film and by not choosing one over the other it, it, it detracts so far from one side that it really ends up just kind of stuck in the middle without really appeasing to either side of that audience you know the way you described it there actually sounds like a movie that would be perfect those sound like pluses to me but in execution i just didn't i wasn't feeling it Eventually, I found the the murderers. When, so when Abel Ferreira goes out and he's killing the homeless people, eventually I found it very funny. And at, at times, I think he was going for humor because it, it kind of gets into a pattern where you'll see a couple, like one or two homeless people kind of just going about whatever their business is, whether they're like picking up trash, standing around a fire. There's that one guy that's just at a bus station bothering people that are about to get on a bus and it, the the pattern is you just kind of watch that for a minute or two and then abel ferreira pops out of the side of the screen shoves a drill in them and then runs off yeah it's almost like a punchline at times the murders and then other times like that setup for that punchline is just goes on and on and on forever like uh, in particular that guy I was talking about that's just messing with people at a bus stop I was like, oh, God movie, how much longer are you going to be showing us this? It's so weird because, like, it takes so long for these murders to happen. And then when they do happen, they, they kind of start happening with a higher uh, frequency. And, and some of them, it's just like, it's out of nowhere. And it's hard to tell, like, what what tone is, is the director going for? Because some of them do feel comedic because of how urgent and quick they are. But other ones, they have more of a, a horror a horror feel to them, especially like, and I only remember this because it, it it was once the DVD cover to to one of the versions of this movie is that guy that's asleep and he drills his forehead and he wakes up screaming to a, a drill going right through his head. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that was that was <laughs> intense because I I didn't rewind it to look at it. But that guy, the drill is one shot. He's asleep and the drill goes into his head and it cuts once blood starts spurting. But that is seamless. You do not see where a blood pack might be because it's not like the blood is going down the drill and then pooling. It actually starts spurting up from his head and it looks like a real drill. So it's like it is an intense moment in the movie. Yeah, it, 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 and that's what I mean. Like that moment in contrast to some of the other ones where it's just kind of like, there's no emotion or really any statement on what's going on because <laughs> that is really shocking. But at other moments it's like, oh, it's quick and it's really bloody. Like the first couple of people, I think he like drills them somewhere like in their torso and it's just bloody and the camera camera kind of lingers on it. Um, and there's not much else to it. It's just kind of that, that that's it. It's such a weird relationship it has with violence. It, it is. And you could say this about a lot of Abel Ferrara. 
but this movie seems almost like outsider art like it, it's there's an intention behind it but it's by somebody who doesn't know really what they're doing they're kind of going by intuition right and that's actually that is actually a plus and a minus for me i don't know we're talking about it and everything we're talking about makes me think like oh this movie is actually great i just know that now i've watched it <laughs> twice now having watched yeah. it twice i'm a little unimpressed by it but like so much of it is so close to being like really good like like something i would really like to watch again and again we we should talk a little bit too like that drill that he has it is just a a basic home drill like there have been other slashers that use the drill and it's always like a big oversized drill or even the one i mean we talked about um we talked about dress to kill but de palma uh body double has that killer with the drill yeah. and you, you might be thinking about that for driller killer but no it's like the little Ikea hand drill that I have in my closet, it's so small and it seems like such a, a source of danger for everybody that sees it. And to the point where when he's just like the ease with which he is shoving that drill into people's torsos, I'm just like, I have been around Black & Decker drills. Like they would not, like it would not be that easy to kill a person with them. Yeah, it would seem like it would be a really tedious and long job, you know, like you'll definitely inflict pain and, you know, do damage, but it just feels like, in, especially with the movie, it, he would, uh, it wouldn't be so easily as to just run up to someone and give them a couple stabs with a drill to, you know, completely take them out. I feel like I, I, I would be able to survive that if that was <laughs> well, the case. Yeah, I, I think so. But I mean, it, the drill is obviously chosen for its sexual connotations, right? Driller killer. It's it's supposed to be very phallic. Yeah. There is certainly a sexual component to this movie, a, a psychosexual component, where the way that he holds the drill and the way that he jabs it in and out of people, it clearly looks like there should be a sexual meaning to it. And and of course, then there's the lesbian shower scene between Pamela and Carol. And uh, I think Pamela has sex with Tony Coca-Cola, the singer for the Roosters. Yeah, yeah. So there is sex in this movie, but the movie is also oddly sexless, at least when it comes to the murders, because on their surface, they look like they're, they're, they're sexual in nature. It looks like that should be an interpretation, but nothing else seems to support that. It, partly because I think the murders are supposed to be a stand-in for his creative expression like he is blocked painting and it's not like the murders help him it just seems that that's an outlet that he's chosen yeah it, it, it's so weird because in, in a similar way to um the movie we just talked about death uh, walks on high heels there is the psychosexual component from both these movies is missing there are scenes of sex in both these movies and they're very sexual but there's no component to that when it comes to the violence or the motivation behind any of the characters. And also, I'm, I'm realizing now that this movie came out in 1979, which is kind of like the peak for, for the, you know, the rise of punk rock and, and, and in its beginning. So I think that it, it definitely, what this movie does, I feel successfully, is it emulates that time period, especially, especially being set in New York, where it was a, there was a big punk scene at the time that it, it, it definitely, it captures that moment in time, that, that scene. And it, I think it's more style over substance as far as that. It is a good, 
uh, interpretation and visual aid as to what that punk rock aesthetic is. And I think that's what it does successfully because it definitely with the music, with the look, with, with the characters that we focus on and the style and all of that, it just, it really showcases what 1979 New York was. Yeah, that's, that's a good point because like the beginnings of the punk movement, this is, and I, I mean, I, I use that word outsider art where this movie is an almost incoherent scream of like confusion and rage and frustration and sexual desire like it's all of these things and there is an intention there i just felt like like he didn't quite know what he was doing he just threw down in front of his camera all of these things that were like boiling in his head and in in that place i mean you like this movie a lot i am not going to argue that because i think that there's a lot to like in this movie and it is certainly like a fascinating and important piece of filmmaking it's just like yeah, it, 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 well, it's just fascinating. Like his seeing basically his subconscious thrown onto screen, like in a way that a lot of filmmakers can't ever get to. Yeah. And I mean, obviously it's, it's Abel Ferrer's first film. And I think for, for that, I think it's impressive as, as the first feature. And I haven't seen a, a very many Abel Ferrer movies, but I think it does establish the kind of style and what he goes for. In most of his films, and you know, a lot of his stuff is really dark and and, and heavy and and violent, and it's just it, it, his movies always exist outside of the mainstream. And even when he is working with more uh, mainstream actors, uh, like he does later down the line, I, I, he still has this this very unique unique eye for for what what, what he likes to make as films and. He is so fiercely independent, which is something that I really admire. And it's something that I also admire from directors like Jim Jarmusch, who I really like. Uh, and I feel like they're sort of in the same camp of like almost no style filmmaking, which in a way is not true because they have distinctive styles. But yeah, there's definitely just things that I like here more stylistically than, than anything else. Like I said, not much of a story. I, this is a movie too. It's not that long. It's an hour and a little bit over an hour and a half, but I do feel like it could have been shorter and, 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 and really in tighter. We could have used less, you know, scenes of the band and don't get me wrong. I like the music, but it doesn't build up in a, a satisfying way. Everything kind of starts happening and then you're sort of forced to accept what is going on in the movie. And, and, and it, it just the name of it, Driller Killer, is it's a very sensationalist sort of serial killer uh, moniker that the media would attach to someone. And I think they mentioned that in the movie early on where, where one of the girls says, I think I liked, they named the caliber of a gun and add a killer to it. And they mentioned how they liked that name better than whatever new name that the media came up with. And oh. I thought that movie would be more like that. Kind of like Death Walks on High Heels, where you know the, these two, two movies ended up being like more thematically relevant to each other than I expected. Like I expected, you know, well, you pick this one; it's kind of an off-kilter slasher. I thought I would go for a giallo. I thought they would have the same psychosexual undercurrents, but neither of them are quite what they're advertised as. Uh, they both have 
psychosexual undercurrents that are are really when you get down to it just tiny parts of the the movie and they both have first halves that meander quite a bit and yeah for all of those scenes that are kind of captivating seeing the you know the new york punk scene there's a lot of scenes of them just hanging out in this apartment not really doing anything like reading from a newspaper or there's that weird early scene where pamela wants a hole drilled in the bathroom door and they can't figure out she can't figure out where exactly she wants it it's just like no there and he started about to start drilling and she's like no 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 over there and he's about to start drilling and it just goes on forever yeah that was so that gave me a lot of anxiety it's like <laughs> pick a side of the door well then and then finally she's like no no up there and it's at the top of the door where nobody can see anyway so what's the, yeah. what's the hole for <laughs> so it it does kind of just like it meanders a bit in it it's fascinating but it's not also that entertaining to me but you like you talk about uh, about Abel Ferrara here and how kind of independent he is even in his bigger budget work like King of New York and um, Body Snatchers was a studio job he has an arrhythmic style where it it never follows like a cinematic style there's always a, a, a an abruptness to the cutting or the scenes that doesn't always feel traditionally satisfying but I felt like I felt like he gets better at that as he goes along, or at least I, I felt like he got a little bit more in control of it. Where I enjoy it more in his not even late, his later films. Just a few years after this, he'll he'll be making like Miss Forty Five, and I mean King of New York is about ten years after this, so he, he gets to that style pretty quickly because he he's just constantly making movies. It looks like at this point in his life yeah he he came out with one uh i think last year with uh tomaso with um willem dafoe that i really wanted to see i'm gonna have to check that out like i said i don't honestly keep up with him very often i, I think i've seen other than this i've seen about five more of his movies he's 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 definitely a director i do enjoy yeah i, de I definitely do want to watch some of like i've never seen this 45 i i saw king of new york when I was a teenager, but I don't really remember that movie that well. And I remember seeing Battle Lieutenant and that that was all right. I like I I really I, I like Driller Killer, but I, I guess I'm not too crazy about Abel Ferreira. But then again, I'm not too familiar with a lot of his work. And like I said, like I haven't seen Miss 45 and it's been so long since I've seen anything else that I'm not I'm not sure how I would feel about most of his films. And I mean, I think it is something that I, I maybe would like to explore just just to see at least the big ones and maybe rewatch like King of New York, Bellotin, and then, you know, watch Body Sanchez. But I don't know. And I, and I know you mentioned the addiction on the last episode that I was on. And that's something that I didn't even know that existed. And I really want to see that. That sounds really interesting. You, you mentioned the lighting in this. I feel like uh, it, it's not as visible in this movie. There's all there's a lot of kind of flat lighting to things, but that opening scene at the church and how, like the the crucifix at the front of the church is lit, and it it's kind of got this like darkness and this neon light in in those scenes. That that's really cool. That's the stuff that I kind of associate with him. Like he doesn't get that expressionistic at times, but he's he's got a a lot of contrast in his lighting in other movies. And I think the addiction, like part of the the great greatness of that movie i think is is how well that works his his uh his style translates to black and white you mentioned bad lieutenant and that's a movie that's my the first movie i saw from him i saw that in high school 
<laughs> it's embarrassing to kind of say it, but I got obsessed with that movie for a little while, especially just how <laughs> unpleasant that movie is. It's like, it yeah. is aggressively unpleasant, but Very um, much. but it is anchored by uh, by Harvey Keitel, who I think is is much more dynamic to watch than Abel Ferrara. Abel Ferrara's got like a a wiriness and kind of a kind of a weird off kilter energy. Like he, he just seems like he's always about to either explode or fall asleep in a heroin coma. You never know which, <laughs> but I, I feel like, like he's, he's, he's fine in this. He's good in this, but yeah, I, he's I very just, manic. He's unpredictable. Yeah. It, it seems like you don't know exactly how he, like how he's going to react to a certain situation. On this most recent rewatch, not most recent watch, this is only the second time I've seen it. The character that really stood out to me is Carol. Uh-huh. The the woman, uh, the dark-haired woman that's living with him. She seems like such a fascinating character. She's so like she's got a sadness to her. You you find out later she's kind of like supporting uh Reno with her alimony checks. Neither uh Pamela or Carol seem that interested in Reno. You I'm not even sure if they're like sleeping with him but pamela and carol are sleeping together yeah and pamela it seems much more romantic for pamela pamela seems to actually have feelings for carol carol just seems lost she's this like middle class slightly older woman i think she's supposed to be in her maybe her 30s she's not like old she's just older than i think reno and pamela are supposed to be she's probably more experienced and she's slumming a slumming it a bit with you know, living with these artists and having a lesbian affair. And she eventually goes back to her husband, like her husband calls her one or two points in the movie. There just seemed to be a lot of depth to that character that's not necessarily afforded to everybody else. Is, is she the one that the movie ends on? Yeah, she yeah. goes back to her husband there at the end. Yeah, that that was such a anticlimactic ending, I feel. Like it, it, the, the way it builds up to that... Reno goes on like uh, on a spree and then ends up in 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 his place and in Stephen's place and then I guess she comes in and, and it cuts to black and we can still hear her talking but that's it after that the credits roll and yeah so he he basically kills Pamela he kills Tony Coca Cola right the singer yeah I believe he does oh, no he kills his art dealer which is another oh right yeah yeah, yeah. The, that's it, another facet. like in the kit in the kitchen right. Yeah, it's another yeah. facet of this movie that you think is gonna like adds to the sexual nature of the movie, but it it doesn't. Where his art dealer is gay, and in fact, Pamela makes a joke that like Reno should sleep with his art dealer just to like let him do it once, and yeah. he gets really upset by that. And then at the end of the movie, he kind of entices his art dealer over, almost with the promise of like I'll I'll sleep with you. And yeah. the art dealer comes over and finds Reno, and he's. In my memory, he was cross-dressing, but he's not. He just put makeup on, and you see a scene where he grabs, like, underwear out of Pamela's drawer, so he's putting on her underwear underneath. And he kills him, and then he kills Pamela when she comes in, and then she goes. he goes and tracks down Carol, kills her husband, or ex-husband, because they're, they they're divorced, but he still loves her, I guess, and crawls into the bed, and she doesn't realize that that's happened. She gets into bed, and he's there, but she thinks it's him and cuts to black. Yeah, oh, it seemed very cruel. I actually kind of liked that though. I not not the cruelness of it, the cruelty of it. I just I liked like, oh, we know where this is going. It did strike me. Oh, it didn't strike me quite as anticlimactic. It just seemed like it, almost like the ending to Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer, which we discussed on your show, um, mm -hmm. where 
we kind of know what we we know what's happening. We know yeah. what's going on. And who knows what's going to happen to him. He'll just maybe go on, continue killing. Yeah, I guess to me, it just felt more abrupt. Yeah, definitely. For a movie that I wasn't, yeah, like I wasn't expecting the ending to to come so abruptly. Like I I felt, even though the movie does meander, doesn't really have focus, I, I felt like a movie was going somewhere towards the end. But it just, I, I even had to go back because I thought I had missed something. Because oh, it goes yeah. black for so long. And you just hear dialogue and like, hmm, what happened before? And I had to go back and it was like, oh, that's it. That's the movie. <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe I just kind of, maybe I liked it better on, uh, or because I'd seen it before. Yeah. I knew what to expect. But that is that is kind of the film style in microcosm. It's just a little abrupt. It's not maybe quite what you expected or wanted, but I, I did like it. I, I liked it. So do you have anything more that you wanted to say about it? I just wanted one more thing that I, I, I just remembered. They spent a lot of the movie uh, trying to trying to get money to be able to afford a place to live and their bills. And and part of the the, the thing with the, with the Buffalo painting is that Reno is trying to sell it so he can make all these things happen. And it's just, it's so interesting that this movie deals with, 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 uh, with money which is something like for especially it's so important when it comes to uh being frugal on an independent uh production but i just thought it was interesting to, to to point it out within the movie and just you know living situations and and what comes with being you know an artist and just kind of you you do your art you'll still yeah. be broke at the end yeah no it's like that is true this movie I mean, I've seen people talk about this as like as a great movie about the creative process. Yeah. And I, I mean, I can definitely see that. And it is, gosh, like this movie does seem almost documentary like in its setting. It's not glamorous and it's not even that picturesque decay that you see in a lot of like gritty New York dramas. Mm-hmm. It, it is actually like unpleasant. It is actually dirty and dangerous this is just like he's drawing on his life and the lives of the people around him um so i just had like one silly quick aside here tony Uh coca-cola the lead singer of the roosters he's played by da metrov but he's credited in the movie as rodney montreal he he's written some screenplays some young adult novels the loft where abel ferrara and the the girls stay is actually his he was letting them use it to film in he kind of got into the movie industry after or his interest in the movie industry was reignited after working with abel ferrara on this his career isn't like in films isn't a lot to speak of but he did write the screenplay for the 1980s movie solar babies with Jamie Gertz and uh, oh my Jason God. Patrick. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever seen that. I have not seen it in years, but I loved that movie as a kid. So it was really funny to me to see that Tony Coca- Tony Coca-Cola yeah. was the guy who wrote it. That's so crazy. Yeah, I, I've never seen it, but I definitely heard, uh, I've heard about the, the infamy of that movie. So it is uh, on, on my to-watch list. I haven't thought about it in a while. I think about it every couple of years. Like I should go back and watch Solar Babies. Because I really did love that movie as a kid. I do not remember anything about the plot. I just remember, <laughs> I remember it was a movie that I loved. Yeah. All right, we're back. And for our top five this week, we thought we would pick our five favorite films off of the Arrow streaming service. Or if not favorite, of course, I always say 
these are the ones that we just want to talk about or put out there as a recommendation. Maybe not our top fives, like ultimate favorite of all time. So I'll go first. And my first is, I'm, I'm, I'm just right out of the gate. I am going to take a massive, massive cheat at this and say the works of Sergio Martino. And there's, there's four films on there that he's directed. So if I have to pick just one for the top five, I'm going to pick Torso, which is a giallo. It's super, super sleazy. It is just like women are naked. There's a lot of sex. There's a lot of violence. There's a lot of sexual violence. Um, but it is a crazy movie that has like, it, it's kind of like Psycho where it has a gear shift moment in it where suddenly the movie is about something else or not about something else, but just like takes such a, dr uh, a dramatic left turn that I got to see this in theaters. I got to see a 35 millimeter print. It was a very bad print. The copy on Arrow is much better than what I saw. But <laughs> with an audience, the excitement in that theater and just like how engaged everybody was when the, the like, the dramatic, I won't even call it a twist, just the dramatic left turn takes place. It, it was a ton of fun. Um, but he's a director that I've gotten into over the last five years or so, Sergio Martino. All of his movies I've seen so far are great. I almost picked Your Vice is a Locked Room and Only I Have the Key. But that's really like, that's, I, I mentioned it earlier when talking about Death Walks on High Heels. That movie is advanced studies that's a movie for people that have watched like all the argento and some of the fulci and just like know what the movie is because that movie throws every trope you can think of into a movie it is just chock full of incidents and crazy stuff and it it like it's a gear shift movie where it changes gears every 20 minutes or so he's a really like crazy director just like all of his movies no matter what they are are just off kilter enough to be really interesting so torso <laughs> that was a lot to say but torso torso is my first choice. yeah i i agree torso is awesome i haven't seen it in a while but torso is pretty uh pretty cool from what i remember uh i'm gonna stick with uh for my choice um i'm gonna stick with italian as well and i'm gonna go with uh and i know it's 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 very it's it's an obvious one but i'm gonna go with deep red uh by dario argento i love the score to this movie it is so good um, I have this on vinyl and I'll, and I'll put it on. Um, oh, nice. But it's so, the music is so good. And I just love the feeling of this movie. It has one of the creepiest like looking dolls that you'll ever see. Um, and it's just, it's one of our, our gentle's best. It's, it's probably his number two, I think, uh, next to Suspiria. But it is incredible. And if you haven't seen it, it's worth checking out. Um, it has, you know, the murder of a psychic and and, and it's just it's so good. Like stylistically, it looks amazing. And if, if you like Argento, you know that he is one for style and, and this movie is no exception. Yeah. Deep Red's great. I think that's really the, the height of his, uh, like he had really hit his stride in terms of just like how great his style was. Yeah. And he's always, he's always been a, a director who is style over substance. And that is not, a complaint or an insult when the style is as good as Argento gets it. Yeah, definitely. Late, like late seventies, early eighties was uh, peak Argento, I think. Yeah, no, Deep, Deep Red is really good. So for my next one, I I have a list here. I, I was kind of 
trying to pick a couple that were maybe unseen or underseen. So I'm going to pick one off of the, um, I think it's the American Horror Project they released two volumes of. This is uh, The Witch Who Came From the Sea from volume one. It, it's actually a little bit more of a movie about generational trauma and abuse than it is a horror movie, but it is kind of couched as an exploitation movie. And that sounds kind of queasy making and it is a little bit it's it's a movie that'll make you uncomfortable so content warning for anybody who watches this but anybody who's like going to the arrow app is probably okay with some more questionable things in their movie <laughs> yeah um but the witch who came from the sea is 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 a is a pretty dark movie you know i, I actually want to look it up i think it was dean cundy that did the was the director of photography on it oh wow yeah, that looked really interesting. I, I I didn't know what it was, and I saw it on there, and I added added it to my list. It, it's definitely not a horror movie, although it it has some it it gets to those places eventually. It is much more a uh, I don't really want to say a melodrama, but it is kind of a like a movie ab about the effects of abuse, and it it looks amazing. Like it's in these really run down seaside buildings and everything but it, it's just like i blew me away it was much more interesting than i had expected it to be when i saw it and yes dean cundy did the um uncredited but i seem to remember seeing his name in the credits so maybe that's a re-release thing hmm. uh, but he was cinematographer along with ken gibb yeah which you can't yeah. see I, I, can't, can't wait to check that out i actually like i i i need to dig into volume two of the american horror project i haven't seen any of those but all three movies in the first volume are varying levels of interesting. Whether or not they're like good movies is kind of immaterial, but they're they're definitely movies I, I kind of I, I enjoyed watching all of them. But which you came from the sea was the best. Nice. All right. So my second uh, recommendation off the Arrow app is Tetsuo the Iron, the Iron Man, which is uh, the first one in I believe it's a trilogy. It's from 1989. It's a short movie. It's like an hour and six or seven minutes, but it is an incredible, incredibly weird, fantastic horror science fiction movie that is shot in a inky black and white. And it is so bizarre, the connection that the director makes between humanity and machinery and the effects in this and the style and the staccato editing it is such a bizarre and crazy movie and a lot of, a lot of the like the, the 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 moments in this movie remind me of like akira and some of the stuff that happens in there with technology but this is like a live action movie and tetsuo the iron man is the only one i've seen out of the trilogy but i i was blown away when i first saw this it's such a great movie yeah if you heard any clicking there on my keyboard it was me removing that movie from my list because that had that on my list. Oh no. <laughs> no, no. I I've got I had extras. Tetsuo I it I uh I I second that recommendation obviously. That is such a a good movie and it's so visceral too. Um it really is. There's something about the blood in that movie. And it's black and white but it gets pretty gory. But there are the little like the squibs when the blood like bursts of blood happen. They're so visceral. They just like, they're so shocking every time they happen. Um, it sounds like a little minor detail, but there's just like something about it that really stuck with me. Cause this is when I saw in high school 
and that movie man like it was shocking and it still is i just watched that recently i've seen the first two of the trilogy the third one came out like 10 years ago yeah so, uh, i haven't seen that one yet but yeah good choice good choice thank you okay so the third pick i'm going for it it's a movie we we mentioned on my um the last episode you were on but i, I didn't realize it was on the arrow app and it is so now i'm happy i get to really recommend it is the movie effects from 1980 um, oh sweet it's written and directed and starring a bunch of people in george romero's little circle of influence like it's a it's a bunch of people that worked on like dawn of the dead and martin and other films and like during downtime or in between movies they all got together and with pocket change they all pooled their money and they made this movie about people making a horror movie and like there's it, it becomes a bit of a horror movie on its own as well but for a lot of the movie it's almost just a like a hangout movie where you're just seeing all these people and they're they've rented this house and they're kind of shooting out in the middle of the woods and then on weekends that they go they're either camping like they just decide to go out and just drink in the woods or they go to bars and it's just these actors and technicians and filmmakers just hanging out and talking about movies and it's so understated like it's it's really cheap like the you know it's dark it's grainy film but it's also very appealing just like the acting is so naturalistic there's some actors in there that um joe i, I called a joe palatino i think he's the crazy military guy in day of the dead who gets like ripped apart at the end of the movie and in that movie, I find him like really over the top what they were going for. But I like he's so ridiculous in that movie. I almost didn't recognize him. He is the lead in this movie. And it was halfway through before I realized it was the same person because he was giving such an understated naturalistic performance. And uh, Tom Savini is in there as well. Uh, he did the effect. Oh, I love that. <laughs> and he was he's in it. Um, it's really interesting. It I it's one even though it's streaming, it's on the arrow app it's on i think it's on tubi it's on a couple of sites it's one that i will probably end up buying for my collection eventually yeah i'm 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 adding that right now onto my watch list because I, I forgot that you did mention that movie uh the last time that that we talked sorry that was the, the app going on um <laughs> <laughs> that's the movie starting i was trying to add it to my list um but yeah i'm definitely gonna add that oh uh, nice all right, so uh, I'm gonna keep it. I'm gonna keep it along the same lines, sort of, with uh, George Romero, and I'm gonna. They have a few on there, uh, which is cool. And but the one I want to recommend because I think it's very. Well, I hope it's not relevant now, and I hope this doesn't become a reality. But uh, his uh, movie, The Crazies, I think is uh, one that I always come back to, and it, it gets better. I think for me with time, and it's about a. <laughs> It's about the military who's trying to contain a virus that uh, that makes that turns people insane and violent. And the movie opens up with this uh, showing uh, an individual going berserk on their family. But it's such a, a striking movie. And it's somewhat it, it's somewhat like a zombie movie, but not really. Uh, it's more like along the lines of like maybe uh, 28 days later, sort of. Uh, but it's a really interesting, and it's another in, it's another interesting Romero movie where he's, he's trying to make a social commentary on 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 how 
this this epidemic would be handled by by uh, by by a government or you know by the military. I I really like the crazies and it's it's been a while since I've watched it, but the crazies I I it's one that I always like to come back to. Yeah, I I actually haven't seen it in years like a really long time. And I did just see it when I was looking through. I'm like, oh, I should watch The Crazies again because I kind of, I haven't seen it since my wife and I started dating. And I kind of always felt like Crazies was a little bit of a dry run for Dawn of the Dead. But mm -hmm. um, but I did feel like it, it was kind of underseen. It kind of, like all of his movies between Night of the Living Dead and Dawn of the Dead seem to have been mostly ignored by you know, the, by the people who aren't fans of George Romero anyway. And some of his most interesting stuff is in there. Yeah, definitely. I agree with that. We, we talked about Martin and yeah, there's just like, he was always remembered for his zombie movies, but he did other stuff beyond that. And it's worth a watch. I think. Now we're going to start getting into the movies that are probably a little bit more well-known, but there's, there's a movie on there called horror express and it's Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing. And Telly Savalas is in there as well. Um, <laughs> it's about uh, some people on after an expedition into the, I can't remember if it's the Himalayas. I'm not sure. I can't remember where they, but they, they're yeah. bringing back a kind of like a frozen specimen of the missing link, basically. And it gets loose on the train. And, it, it, you know, it's a, it's a like Trans-Siberian Express or something like that. Um, so I love movies on trains. <laughs> I love you know, like hammer horror. And I don't, this isn't a hammer horror, but Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing are in it. It, it has like kind of a light touch to its humor. Um, there, there's a scene where people burst into Peter Cushing's cabin and they like, the guy shouts out that he's looking for the monster and Peter Cushing just deadpans this line, like monsters were British. And it, it's made me laugh so much. It, it's, it's a really fun like people know about this movie, I think, but it, it's a fun train set monster movie. Horror Express, a lot of fun. My uh, my next recommendation is going to have to be Dead or Alive uh, by Takashi Miike. Uh, it is a strange blend of comedy and extreme violence. It is such a weird crime movie. I've never seen anything like it. It's 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 you know it's a yakuza movie with cops and. It has the weirdest, most crazy finale that I've ever seen in a movie. Um, and well, that's yeah, probably. It, it sounds like you haven't seen Dead or Alive two or three. Then <laughs> I have not. <laughs> um, but yeah, Dead or Alive. I, I I saw that they had the other ones on there, uh, which I'm excited to to uh, to check out. But the first Dead or Alive, I I really like. It's it's a fun movie. It's don't expect much going into it's it's not one of Mikay's best but I think for what it is and for whatever he was trying to do in this movie that it, it, it's entertaining there's just really weird comedy in it but you know there's there's enough action in there and other element crime elements that that'll keep uh keep you interested yeah that that one's that one's interesting I so I watched those with my friend. We watched all three of them in a row. I do not recommend it. I, it was, <laughs> they get so crazy yeah, and so bizarre and so like 
weirdly slow and plodding at times, but it's just like that entire evening, all three of them are kind of mushed together in my head as like just as one really pummeling experience. And I, I remember, I remember liking the first one best of all. Yeah. Uh, I should definitely watch them again, but maybe put a little bit of time in between my viewings. No, yeah, I, uh, I'm, I'm gonna have to, yeah, do that and you know, space them out too. <laughs> but the way, the way that this, the first one ends, it's so you, you would never see this coming for this type of movie. There's no hint at this ending. Yeah, the at all. Mickey does nowhere. that a lot with it. <laughs> yeah, where he just like surprises you at the end with like oh, just something incredibly strange. I remember really losing my shit when I watched this. I was like, <laughs> like I was so into it. Like, what is happening? It, yeah, it was very. Yeah, I obviously I'm not gonna give it away, but it it was uh, it was cool. Gosh, I'm gonna have to like start making a list of all the movies I'm gonna watch over my Christmas break. <laughs> is what I keep calling it. Okay, so my uh, my final pick, right? Uh, that's number five. Um, oh, I got a list here. Okay, so I, I think I'm gonna have to go with Frank Henenlotter's Brain Damage. This is a movie I, I can't claim to have any huge history with. I saw it for the first time just less than a year ago. I think right before quarantine hit is when I saw it. And I liked Basket Case, Frank Henenlotter's previous movie. We talked about Abel Ferrara like making outsider art, like capturing this punk aesthetic. I think Frank Henenlotter in his movies captures that kind of grimy New York in, that like... 70s 80s new york in a way that i i really respond to like i i really like how he captures the city and just the feeling of his his scenes and scenarios brain damage is so funny and very sleazy and hypersexual uh i don't know if you've seen it but it's this parasitic worm basically that induces euphoria in the people that it inhabits and yet they the people then have are compelled they have to go and kill people for this parasitic worm but the worm is voiced by zacharly who was the first horror host and uh, he's got this like wonderful mellifluous voice and he's so yeah. friendly and likable and he's just but he's forcing people to go and kill and it has these really trippy like drug sequences or drug hallucination sequences it, it's just I, I'd heard about it. I knew it was supposed to be good. It just blew me away how much fun I had with uh, with brain damage. Wow, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to check that one out too. I've never seen that one. It sounds cool. Yeah, and it's got another another kind of puppet monster. Like you you've seen Basket Case, right? Yeah, I, I love Basket Case. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Basket Case, you know, Belial in that movie. Mm -hmm. He he really strikes that middle ground, that uncanny valley where he's he's both very well kind of shitty looking for a puppet but also really really freaks me out <laughs> like I, <laughs> just looking at yeah. him makes me so uncomfortable uh, and the like i think brain damage is a little bit slicker as a movie it, it certainly like it, it gets very sexual there's like a a lot of like sex in this movie but mm. it, it's also like a little bit more slickly done um yeah, oh, I, I really like it a lot. Um, all right. So my last movie is, this is sort of obvious one, but I, I recently 
watched it within the last year and I really enjoyed it. Uh, we I really enjoyed rewatching this one, but I'm gonna have to go with uh, Reanimator, based on the H.P. Lovecraft story. It is a it is an undeniable classic, uh, a brilliant blend of comedy and horror and gore and science fiction and just a bunch of bizarre, cool things and iconic characters. Uh, Jeffrey Combs as Her- Herbert West is incredible. Uh, Barbara Crampton's in this. David Gale. It's it is such a fun movie to watch with some really uh, outstanding uh, um, special effects as well and. It's it's good. It's it still stands, man. I, I really like Reanimator. Yeah, I watched that a, about a year ago. Again, I mean, I I yeah, I've seen it many times, and it it is a movie that kind of surprises me every time I watch it. Just how good it is, like how they just hit it right on the head. Um, that's a good choice. That was one of my alternates as well. Uh, but nice. man, that's great. Have you seen the the sequels? No, yeah, that's another one where I haven't seen the sequels. So the first one is the best. Um, I I need to see the third one again because I remember thinking it wasn't that great. Like it had moments where I was, I thought it was very fun, but it. I remember, yeah, <laughs> I remember thinking it wasn't like it wasn't the best thing. It, it's basically Herbert West is in jail. Oh. Um, <laughs> he's making he's basically reanimating things in a prison, right? Um, but the second one, the second one has this really crazy let's reanimate everything aesthetic where they just basically grab all these animals and mush them together and like oh man like create all these like like bats with working human hands and it's like it it's it gets so crazy that the movie's not as good but i just like i i just kind of like seeing how out there it got uh yeah i i i do want to see some of the other ones like bright bright is a sequel right bright yeah. reanimator yeah, yeah and beyond reanimator but it just never got to it. Yeah, no, Stuart Gordon's great. I love that. Like, yeah, Reanimator is is just about a perfect movie. So, anything else? Do you have any honorable mentions? I, I shouldn't have just sprung this on you, but like, there's a lot oh, of really cool uh, stuff on there. <laughs> no, I, I literally wrote down the five just because I there were so many things on there that um it was hard to to pick. So I, I just decided I'm gonna pick the first five that really like, oh yeah, that's something I want to recommend. But I I mean, some of the other ones are more obvious. Like I was going to put Torso on there, but also the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Hills uh, yeah. Have Eyes, just stuff like that. I mean, there's a bunch of stuff in there. Like they have the entire, uh, I think it's the entire, they have a Gamera collection. On. They have that. And there's just so, there's so many things that they have. They have like the Herschel Gordon Lewis collection which uh, for me, a lot of his movies are hit or miss. There's stuff I like and there's stuff I absolutely hate. And I oh, wanted to- You know, I, I should have, we should have brought Herschel Gordon Lewis up earlier because I, I, I got that vibe watching Driller Killer this time. I was really? like, oh, this, is, this is a lot like, like Blood Feast where- You know what, not, you're right. I was about to say Blood Feast, yeah. It's, it's not always the most engaging and then kind of explodes in this, this, this like titillating or exploitation fair. And then the rest of it is kind of like, like you're just kind of hanging out with the characters for a little while. But yeah, that's so funny. Yeah, like I, the first Lewis one I watched was Blood Feast, and I did not like it. But then I watched uh, One Thousand Maniacs, which I really like, and I think Color Me Blood Red and the Gore 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 Girls. It's just he. There's stuff like I said. There's stuff that is just unsteadily. 
it's unsettling and it's not good, but there's stuff that's bad, but it's interesting and it, it, it's engaging in some way. Yeah, there's like, I, I should say, I have like Netflix and Hulu and Disney Plus, I have all of these services, but I got the Arrow app for that 30 day free trial. And there's just so much underseen, like genre films, like stuff that I'd never even heard of. And then other stuff that I've been looking for for years that I just, I immediately was in love. And then their app, it's, it's really great. It's like easy to go through their app. I don't like watching stuff on my phone, but it's easy to look at it and, you know, search through it and their website. The downside to it is there's no just A to Z. Like you, you kind of have to know what you're looking for, or it has to be in one of their uh, pre-assigned collections to be able to find what you want. And I should have said it earlier. Maybe I'll go back and splice this in. There's a weird problem right now with Death Walks on High Heels where the subtitles don't quite match up what's being said. Like it cuts out about half of the subtitles from what I saw. Uh, I tried to watch it on my phone, tried to watch it on the laptop. It wouldn't play, or it would play, but half the subtitles just weren't there. And then I went and I found this also on Tubi, and that had all of the subtitles. And it's it's weird because it seems to be the Arrow copy that's on Tubi. Huh, interesting. I, yeah, I, I, I did get like a delay on the subtitles. I don't know if I, maybe it was the same issue, but I felt like the characters would talk and then nothing, no subtitles would show up and then subtitles would show up. And, but it was like a delay, like after a sentence, the subtitles would come up. Yeah. I went and I actually looked at, at Tubi because I watched the opening to this movie um, up through that, that first police investigator in a police interview. Yeah. I watched it both on the app and I watched it on the laptop and then I went to Tubi and the Tubi version had the full subtitles and it was subtitling lines that neither of the other times I'd watched it were there. So huh, interesting. I contacted, I emailed Arrow and they got back to me like pretty quickly. And it, I mean, it was basically just like a, Oh, we're forwarding this to the right people. Thank you. But like, it was clearly not just a form letter. It was clearly somebody there that was like, Oh, that's odd. That's, that's weird. Let me tell somebody. It was nice that they got back to me like immediately because it was it was the middle. Yeah, of, that's cool. Yeah. It was middle of the night on Friday that I I emailed them. Yeah, I'm I'm really digging the service. Uh, there's a lot of stuff on there. It, it it's pretty cheap. I think it is it five bucks. Yeah, five dollars a month. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, it, it I'd recommend. There's like a lot of stuff to dig through on there, and they they've already added stuff as well for being only live for like a month or and a half now. They keep adding stuff. So anyway, that's going to do it for us. Before we go, though, Carlos, uh, anything that you want to talk about? Tell people about your podcast. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm the host of Dalla for Film, and currently on this rendition of the podcast, I'm trying to watch uh, the 1001 movies you should see before you die. I've done almost 100 on the podcast. I have a different guest. Uh, I try to have a different guest each week. And we do five movies. I create categories, have my guests pick from these categories. Once they pick a category, I reveal the movies in those categories. And we cover different types of movies. And in October, we I mentioned this in the last episode, but we did all horror films for a whole month-long Halloween celebration. And in December, we will be covering uh, different directors. Uh, so for four weeks, we'll do uh, a different director each week with a different guest and yeah Aaron will be on there and we'll we will be talking about Michelangelo Antinoni so I can't wait for that discussion 
Yeah, me either. Like I, I keep saying, I, I've only seen one of his films off that list, and so yeah. it'll be fun to to see the rest. I hope I have things to say about them. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure you will. Yeah, they're they're very profound, and yeah, I'm really excited to see what you think about us. Well, yeah, a couple of them have been on my list for quite a while. So this, yeah, is, yeah, yeah. this is great that you're like kind of this show is making me do it. <laughs> no, your show is great. You have really good. Thank you. Like e- even when I'm not on it, <laughs> uh, it I I'm a fan of your show. It, it's good and. Um, I mentioned this on the episode with uh, with Johnny D. It may have actually been cut. Your show is actually one of the reasons that I'm doing this because I just had so much fun doing your show and I didn't want to just call you every week and say, can I be on, can I be on? <laughs> start start doing my own. So um, yeah. Dial Up for Film is recommended by me. I say everybody that enjoys this show would definitely enjoy yours. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. I, I have a lot of fun uh, coming on here and having you as a guest. Yeah, we'll 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 do this again. Um, of course, we're, yeah. We're both going to be busy. Your show keeps you pretty busy, so we'll we'll work something out before we go. Uh, of course, I like I say we're sponsored by Metallic Dice Games. We're not actually sponsored by. They gave me a, a coupon or a discount code. So Metallic Dice Games. Uh, if you're if you're a gamer, if you need any dice or dice related accessories. They've actually just put out a series of enamel pins that were designed by my partner, Amber, and they're really cool looking. Uh, I'll put photos up there on the Twitter and Instagram and everything. But um, if you go there, enter the code two heads and that gets you 10% off your order. Um, some good stocking stuffers in there for gamers in your life. Uh, if you are enjoying the show, please rate, review and subscribe. And you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Two-Headed Pod, and there's also a Facebook page out there. You can find it. People know how to Google. And that'll be it for us. Thank you for joining this week. We'll see you next week. Bye.